0: Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Thank you, Father, for your precious word. Be at work in our hearts now as we listen. I was just reflecting a few years ago. um, I was a a member of Mighton Church, which is one of the two churches that helped found this church in Kenilworth. And we did something where we invited everyone in the congregation to submit a photo of them on a Monday morning. Now, in some cases, people were at home, but in other cases, people were at school or people were at work. And the point of it was to show the different jobs and the situations in which the congregation found themselves. Now, the results were, I have to say, really quite interesting. I actually had no idea what some people actually did. And actually, the the photos provided an interesting opportunity into their lives. But I'll be absolutely honest with you. Even after seeing those photos, I still have have no real idea about what certain people do. Now, he's not here to embarrass him, so I'm going to embarrass him anyway. But even after all these years, I have no real idea what Peter Bingham actually does. Now, as far, as far as we know, he, he works at a big car company. But I don't know what he actually does. Does he screw the exhausts on? Does he, does he paint the pictures of them? Does he do the website? I've no idea what he does. But I know he's quite important at it. In fact, it's almost become a running joke over the years, rather like um, Chandler Bing in, in Friends, who even after ten seasons of Friends, nobody's quite sure exactly what he does. Unless you think that I'm poking fun at Peter... I suspect a lot of you have no real idea what I actually do. If, if I tell you that I'm a lawyer who specialises in commercial property development, you will nod sagely and say, to said, yes, I, I think I know what one of those is, I think I know what you do, but you're not really, are you? you you've got no real idea what I, I actually do. And actually the truth is, is that probably a lot of us do things, I, mean, I have no idea what Emma does, for example, really. I know she's a doctor, I know she specialises in infectious diseases, but how? I mean, how do you treat these things? I mean, the one this year is quite infectious, isn't it? I mean, anyway, that's that, that, that said. But you speak to a lot of people out there who are not Christians and ask them what defines a Christian. And I suspect if you went out into the population and asked people what defines a Christian, you would probably get some furrowed browsers. Well, they have meetings at funny times, don't they? 10.30 on a Sunday morning, if you're conventional. on a Sunday afternoon, if you're really unconventional, they meet at odd times in the week, suddenly they meet early to pray, they seem to like really cold buildings, and they also seem to enjoy talking about dead people all the time, it's a bit strange isn't it being a Christian really, I think they pray, and they read books, but yeah, not very odd. Paul's letter to the Colossians, which we've been studying over the last few weeks, has got some wonderful teaching and theology, particularly uh, in the first half, where there's some fantastic co- sort of depth of teaching in it. But in the second half of Colossians, which we're very much in now, Paul seeks to try and apply a lot of those teachings to daily living as Christians. He moves on to, if you like, practical application, and shows how we as Christians are to live in the light of that great teaching. And as we move into chapter 4, Paul begins to draw his letter to a conclusion. And he, he manages to distill two very simple concepts. And Alexander, if you want to just share the, the passage back on the screen. You see, Paul, in these four short verses, talks of two things. And effectively defines what being Christian is. In that we talk to God... And we talk to others about our faith. And that's in response to the fact that we have been chosen by grace to be followers of Jesus Christ. Now I, I think the mistake that a lot of preachers make is to tell people just what to do. And to guilt trip people into doing more of it. In fact indeed you go out to society and the word preaching has got quite a negative sort of concept around it hasn't it? Oh stop preaching at me. Stop telling me what to do. But actually what what preaching is, actually it's to encourage, to teach people, to exhort people to love Jesus Christ more in the light of the wonderful word of God. It's supposed to be encouraging. And so when we read these verses now, which tell tell us that we should talk to God and tell others about our faith, your response is like to be, well yes, I I know, I, I should do some more of that. I really should. I I must do better. Now, I could just close the book now and walk out today. And in a sense, you've got the message that we need to do a bit more of that. But you see, the interesting thing about how Paul teaches the Colossians, he doesn't just say, do that. No, he does more than that. He comes up with a how, how to do it better, and a why. Why we should pray more and speak to others more about our faith. So I've split today's talk into two separate sections. Firstly, how to be more effective in our prayer lives. And secondly, how to be more effective in telling others about our faith. Now there's tons and tons of wisdom and doctrine in Paul's letters. But he does have this amazing capacity to distill what he wants to say into quite simple commands and encouragements. But he never does so without explaining how and why his readers should behave in that way. So firstly, how to be more effective in our prayer lives. Paul says in in, in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now an image that all of us will relate to is the image, do you remember back in March and April, of the amazing work that was done to create those nightingale hospitals. We had one down in London, huge down in the Excel Centre, one up at the NEC, and were a number of others around the country. And they got them ready in, in double quick time. And the reason that they had to get them ready so quickly was because everyone knew there was a big surge of these cases coming. And that is the urgency that Paul is talking about here. This idea of devotion and being watchful is, is, is essentially saying we've got to be persistently ready it actually recalls the words of Jesus in Gethsemane, where he says to his disciples, Stay here and keep watch. And that's what and this when you talk about this word devotion, you've perhaps got the image of a mother cradling an infant, that of a doting mother. But actually it might almost be better translated as Man the lifeboats, be on it, be ready to do it. Because prayer is not something to be switched on and off. So often we, we, we turn to prayer when, when we're in times of emergency, don't we? And, and, and we, and we? and we come out with a list of requests rather than just regularly, constantly praying that opportunities would come. Some of you will know, about an hour away from here, there's a very large donut-shaped building in the middle of Cheltenham. And, and that, that large building is, houses GCHQ, which is the government communication headquarters. And the interesting thing there is you have groups of people, men and women, who are there round the clock. And what their what object to do is essentially to listen in and to keep the country safe all the time. And I know this because my own brother works there on the night shift. So he's there at night listening out for things and checking that things won't happen. And over the last 15-20 years, there have been significant numbers of plots against the country that have been foiled due to the work of those men and women constantly being there. And that is what Paul is saying we should be like in prayer. Constantly watchful. But notice as well, he also talks about being thankful. And that's the interesting thing, isn't it, about prayer? Because the more often that you pray, the more often that you realize, actually, that we have an incredibly gracious God who answers our prayers. I remember in home group years ago, we used to keep a little list of all the things that we'd prayed for. And it constantly amazed me how God would specifically answer prayers. And actually, so you get a cycle of thankfulness. And it makes you more thankful in your prayers the more regularly that you pray. But what else does Paul say here? In verse 3, he says, um, Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And then he says, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's literally in chains, he's in a cell. And imagine if he was in prison today. And he had, say, had access to the internet. What, what would be going on? Would there perhaps be a campaign afoot? Open doors. Let's free Paul. Let's crowdfund an appeal against the Roman authorities for his unjust imprisonment. Now, perhaps it's a reality of the culture of the time. There wasn't much point trying to persuade the Romans, really, to release Paul. Um, but also, I think more interesting, actually, it shows what the mindset of Paul was. Because rather than asking for his release... He was actually saying, no, the situation I'm in is a mission field. It's an opportunity to spread the gospel. So what does he do? He asks his brothers and sisters in Colossae to pray that a door may be opened. In other words, for opportunities to be opened up to him. And it's not the first time that Paul says this. In 2 Thessalonians he says, finally brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may be spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. And yet, and yet, we're not talking about an easy message here. Because when you talk about opening the mystery of Christ, which in other words is God's purpose to reconcile the world through Christ and to welcome Gentiles to him, that's a really difficult message. And actually it's the reason why Paul is in prison in the first place because he's been stirring up riots uh, uh, where he's been going out preaching and that's why he's been imprisoned. And the truth is for us, this is not an easy message to a world that is hostile to it, which is why we have to pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul also prays, asked the Protestants to pray that he may proclaim the gospel clearly. Actually, You could probably render it slightly better in the translation as intelligibly. Because the truth is, to a blind world, a world that willfully misunderstands or misinterprets the message, it won't always be clear. In fact, in some ways, it's a miracle if it ever is. But Paul asks for prayers that he will do so in a way that is appropriate to his audience, that is going to be understood by them, perhaps. So what can we learn about prayer from Paul's words here? Well, think of that image of the lifeboat. Because the crew don't get the lifeboat ready and then just forget about it. The the lifeboat is there, maintained, ready, in the good times and the bad. Because you never know when the storm is going to come. Those beds in that Nightingale Hospital, they're ready for if there's a surge in cases. They haven't turned them off, they're still there. And that is how we are to be about prayer regularly watchful not just turning to it prayer in emergencies and do you know what the amazing thing is and this is something i learned this week which i thought was quite incredible did you know that paul's letters are not in chronological order right you think well that's interesting no this is very interesting so you've got galatians ephesians philippians colossians right The letter to the Philippians actually chronologically came after the letter to Colossians. And we see in verses 12 to 14 of Philippians, Paul talking about his answered prayer from Colossians. So he says to the, he says in the letter to the Philippians, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's a direct answer to the prayer that he's asked for prayer for. Amazing. And the challenge to us is how, many, how much of the time do we pray, do we pray, indeed, that doors will be opened, that we, the gospel will be made clear to blind eyes. So let's be regular, let's be specific, let's be urgent. But there's a clear link here to the second point that I want to make today. And that's how to be effective in telling others about our faith. Because Paul's already acknowledged in this passage that if we tell others about our faith, we are going to meet with resistance. That was the case with the Colossians, and it's the case with us. And knowing that we're going to hit resistance often tends to spark two quite extreme reactions in us as Christians. We can go often two extreme ways – one way, we can go into a bit of a holy huddle as Christians and say, there's a horrible dark world out there. We're best to stay away from them and, and, and treat them with a level of suspicion. I was at a family wedding about three years ago, and it was one of those very, very Christian weddings. You know the type where you know, everybody there seems to be a Christian and so on. But the truth was, actually, there were some people there who, who weren't Christians. And, and, and some of the message was it was, of it was, there's this terrible world out there, but we're here in our nice tent here, and everything's great. And I, I remember talking to one family member afterwards, who was actually quite offended by it, who said, you Christians are just being exclusionary. I didn't feel very welcome today at that, because I belong to that horrible world out there. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's quite interesting. How much do we ever convey that as Christians? But then the trouble is, on the the other hand, we can often go to the other extreme, which is where we assimilate ourselves in the world so much that we're barely distinguishable from it. Of course, we we might fight for fair trade products and we might fight for social justice, but when it comes to telling others about our faith, oh no, that's far too difficult, We we can't do that ever. So actually, in a sense, there are two extreme reactions when you meet resistance to your faith. So what does Paul say? Verse 5. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now there's some really good wisdom in here from Paul. And we can break it down into four different parts. So firstly, wisdom in acting towards outsiders. What does that mean? Well, the question, the challenge is, do we act shrewdly? Do we act with good judgment? I'm reminded of the parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 16. Do you know the one of of, of the shrewd manager? So this is a manager who was accused of wasting his possessions. And he was in a a lot of bother. He was in a lot of trouble because he knew if he lost his job, he'd be out on the street. So he thought shrewdly, "What, what am I going to do? So he went round to the various people that owed money to his master, and he went round and he collected the money off them, but in order to do so, he had to reduce their invoices. And he actually got commended when he comes back by the master for acting in a shrewd and wise way, and he kept his job. And Jesus reflects on that, saying, actually, in a sense, how, how, how shrewd are the people in the world, sometimes compared to the ineptitude of some of his followers? And like they, all the parables that Jesus told, there was actually great depth to it. But actually, if you think about it, well, how does this apply to us in our evangelism? Well, actually, are we using the best of the time and and opportunities that we have? I think so often when we talk to people about our faith, we do it alone, don't we? And yet, and and, and I suspect, you know, perhaps you're you're the only Christian that your friends or, or your family might know, they might think, well, John's a bit odd, you know. He's a bit weird, and therefore you think that um, you know. Well, actually, no. okay, I quite like him, but Christianity's weird; it's a bit odd. But then you go off and and, and you introduce this family member or friend to someone else, to, to Liz maybe, and you might think, well, you know, actually, Liz is all right. This is, this is okay. Liz seems quite normal. Um, I think well, Christianity's a bit weird, but I bet two normal people now. And then perhaps you might have invited them along to an event or something, and, 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 they, and they meet uh, James, for example. And they think, well, James is all right, I quite like James. I've met three normal Christians now. And before you know it, actually, you start to get people drawn in amongst the body of people. I've actually seen it work in practice where a group of us, before the lockdown happened, we used to get the train together, a few of us were Christians. And we found that actually it was much easier talking to people openly if it was in a group rather than just individually. So that's an example of actually how we can act, perhaps a bit more shrewdly. Second point is, that Paul talks about, he talks about urgency. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, I I feel this one, and I suspect a lot of you do too, how many times have we just failed to take an opportunity to tell someone about our faith? But the great thing about this is, is that actually... It's not our job to convert somebody, to tell... It's actually the job of the Holy Spirit. All that we have to be is ready to take opportunities. Something quite amazing happened this week. I, I, was, um, I was invited as a guest speaker to a, a service um, for Christian professionals in Birmingham. And uh, the topic, actually, I just, I actually, having spoken on Colossians 3 here a couple of weeks ago, I actually thought that message of forgiveness... And compassion was, was actually one that was quite apposite. So I decided to do that one um, again. And um, it was amazing. In, in, in one of the rooms afterwards, um, I ended up talking quite profoundly to somebody who was really, really struggling with the issue of forgiveness. Really quite profoundly. And I, and I happened to look this person up afterwards. And I discovered, actually, it was somebody in, 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 in my profession who'd been in the news, who'd, who'd actually been up before the disciplinary tribunal. And i um, had, had actually gone through a really, really tough time. And actually, I, I, I thought, do you know what? I'm going to talk to some of my colleagues about this. Um, and so actually, I engaged one or two of my colleagues in conversation and said, this is amazing, actually, when you talking about the issue of forgiveness in our profession. And to my amazement, my colleagues were saying, yes, forgiveness is something that is really important. And, and, I, and, I, and it provided a great opportunity to say yes. And actually, if you really, truly want to understand forgiveness, the only true way you can understand forgiveness is by reference to God and his forgiveness of us through Jesus Christ. And it, it, was, it was just one of those little things where I thought, yeah, there, there was an opportunity to talk to somebody about biblical truth. But actually, what, what one, of the, one of the other things I think that we sometimes struggle with when we do talk about our faith Is this thing that Paul talks about in verse six? Let your conversation be always full of grace. There was there was an Australian evangelist called uh, John Chapman, who um, was he died about eight years ago, but he was a very 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 sort of well known evangelist. And he talks about when he became a, a Christian in his teens and how he was very very enthusiastic. And every breakfast time, he used to come down and sit at the breakfast table and try and convert his parents. And there was one time where his father gave him a very weary-looking stare after the latest ear-bashing he'd had from his son. And he said, John, do you take your breakfast to church? And he went, no. He said, well, why do you always have to bring church to breakfast? And John said, I learnt a valuable thing there, which is, I had this great zeal and enthusiasm, perhaps I was lacking a little bit of tact. And I can emphasise that, because when I remember when I was 12, I became a Christian, and I went to go and visit my poor grandmother, and she, honestly, I, I, was, I was zealous, but perhaps with a, a lack of tact in terms of talking the urgency about how she needed to give her life to Jesus. And actually, it, it, is, it is difficult, isn't it? Um, to, act, to actually act with gracious, because particularly when you're at school, I mean, I remember this, kids can be really unfair and judgmental if they know that you're a Christian, particularly if you're in year, year 10 or third year uh, or, or year 9. It's just, it's really, really hard. And actually the temptation is just to kind of just push people away. But actually the word gracious includes both public and private proclamations of the word. So it's a challenge to those of us when we teach. Are we being gracious as we teach? Are we being gentle with our words whilst being firm as well about what the gospel means? And then the final thing that Paul talks about here is saying how our conversation should be seasoned with salt. Now, when I read this in scripture, and you hear about salt, salt is used quite a lot. You initially read this as being sort of wholesome and purifying. But actually, that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about seizing the salt in, in the same way that if you if you have a fairly bland meal and you put some salt into it, it's suddenly a lot more interesting, isn't it? And and what he's talking about here, actually, is injecting some interest into what we're saying. Actually, it could even be translated as, as providing wit or amusement, being be clever or humorous with what we say. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying we've got to be gracious, not too harsh, but charming, warm, persuasive, actually recognising that the gospel is a living truth. It's the most wonderful truth in the world. So why relegate it to being a dull, nervous or unconvinced presentation? Now, of course, God amazingly, in his grace, uses weak and boring presentations of the gospel. That is the wonder of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can work amazingly in spite of our human weakness. But the truth is, is that good speakers will actually present the gospel in a way with that warmth, with that candour, seeking to build a relationship with their listeners. I can relate to this personally because I grew up as a boy in the Anglican Church and quite a dull bit of the Anglican Church, I'll be honest. And by the age of 11, I was almost viscerally opposed to going to church i hated it because i found it so boring and almost as an act of rebellion i started going along to another church where the, the style was a bit different and what i really liked about it was was how the, the preachers there the people who were speaking kind of told you how it was they were they, they built they sort of there was humor there was warmth in it but also there was the gospel and that real strength and you know it, it had an impact on me as a 12-year-old boy hearing that because I thought, this is real. This is real. And it made me respond. And and that, and that was a challenge to me as well. And, and then through my teenage years as well, I had youth group leaders who were passionate about teaching me the truths, But at the same time, there was a warmth and a genuineness to how they did it. So actually, when we talk to people about Jesus, let's be warm, let's be... Interesting. Let's show people that it's a real and a living faith. Let's not be pious. Let's not people feel inferior. But let's be gracious and be faithful to this wonderful message. And also, as Paul says, have a reason to, to know how to answer everyone as well. Often, I, I, I used to struggle with this a lot, thinking I, I haven't got the answer to every question. I, I don't know why God allows war and suffering. It's very difficult to answer. But if we bring this topic back to Jesus Christ, because God loves man so much that he, he 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 chose to become man and take our suffering for Him, we've got a listening of answers to the most of the questions that people will bring to us. So, in summary, are we wise and shrewd in how we handle opportunities, whilst keeping that sense of urgency? Are we gracious? Avoiding harshness and unkindness, whilst being interesting, warm, passionate about what we believe in. And are we always ready? Because that's the thing. We are called to be ready and urgent, both in prayer and evangelism. Because there is a lot at stake here. We have a world out there that needs to know the gospel. But what a glorious task, to bring freedom and truth to a lost world let's pray father god as we read these words of paul written to that congregation we know these truths are right we, we know these truths are, are written there for us as much as they were written for those people back then and yet if we're honest we often find it so difficult to live these in our lives But we're thankful for the fact that you equip us. You equip us with your word and you equip us with your Holy Spirit. So we pray that you would equip us as we go out today to be ever watchful, ever ready. And to contend and to wrestle in prayer constantly. But also be constantly ready to give an answer for the hope that we hold out in you. Amen.